Have you ever said something to your partner that didn't land? Maybe you've said something to a boss that you immediately regretted. I'm Evie Pomperis. I'm a former member of the Secret Service, an interrogator. Today, I'm a journalist and author. Becoming good at communication wasn't optional for me. It was baked into the job I did. But communication is essential to building strong relationships with your partner, your coworkers, your family, and everyone in between. You can't stop me now. No, you As you know, Tom and I have been together for over 20 years now. Oh my God. Um, and people always ask us like, what's the big key to the relationship? And it always comes back to communication, girl. Communication, communication, communication. And one of the big things for us is defining words. Like when I say what has been the savior of our marriage, it is defining words because we've had such different upbringings. Like even just take me and you, we're both Greek, but even just the words that we use, can make someone interpret something in a different way. So Tom and I were all about, like, from, I don't know, day one, to find the words that we use so that we can actually be speaking the same language. Because a word to me may be very different than a word to you. So, like, for me, the word was promise. When I say I promise to Tom, it means I will cut off my right arm, but by golly, I'm going to stick to that promise. Um, so just from a tactical communication tip, that to me has been the biggest thing in my relationship. But these are words that you use specifically with each Tom. other. So we literally, almost a little mini dictionary of, okay, when I say this word, what does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? Collectively, this is what it means together. So if I say, for instance, it's important. If I just, like, imagine I just said it to you. Would you realize what that meant to me? Like, hey, if it's important, do you mind X, Y, and Z? You've actually done that to me. Because when we, sometimes when we speak, like you have a very, you have a schedule, and which I respect. And if I hit you up with something, mm. you'll say to me, if it's important, you know, let me know. I'll jump off and break away from what I'm doing. And I understand that when you say that, actually. Intuitively, I've always understood, like, when she says it, um, that she will do it. And there are times where I'm like, no, this is important. Call me later. Mm -hmm. um, or there's a moment, and like the other day we had one, and you're like, hey, you know, can I, can I call you after this? And I was like, call me now. Yeah. And I'd never do that. And so you, I understood, and you understood that we were in sync when it came to that word important. I think that was just intuitive, though, because I'm in sync with you mm. quite often. Words are... Words are, it's not that they're a tricky thing, but again, words are about how they make people feel. So I remember, you know, when I would speak to people, I always wanted people to comply. And I still do. You never want to force people to do anything. And so thinking about words that get people to comply rather than resist you. I also look at words in a strategic way in that I may not use certain words with certain people in situations. I'm always looking to soften words for people. Like, so if I'm, like, for example, if I want to say no to something, I will avoid giving a hard no because sometimes no can affect somebody's identity mm. because it's, I'm not rejecting what you're asking. 
the interpretation can be you're rejecting me along with what I just asked mm. you. And that can hurt a relationship. So I'll find different ways to say no. You know what, let me think about that. I'm not sure. Let me talk to so-and-so about it. I don't know if that's in my space. Um, let me come back to you later. I'll find different ways or, you know, I don't know about that right now, but maybe later. I don't know if I'm in that space right now. So in that way, language is powerful if you can think about ways to communicate with people. So, Because I, I feel like we're so much in the space where people like say no and stand your ground, which you should, but also think about when you say no, does it make somebody feel like shit? Mm-hmm. And so can you say no in a nicer way? And I don't mean in very extreme situations. I mean in just dialogue. Sometimes you don't think about the way you deliver it and think about how you your words will land on that person. Mm. And I think for me, it's understand the person across from you. Number one, who are you speaking to? Who is that person? Understand them. Then when you can understand them, then you can figure out how do I speak to this person mm. because of who they are. Yeah, that's very valid. So now... With that enlightenment, which is amazing, how do you then? Because you even said like being softer, using softer language. Um, so what are those like things that people can do? How do you define words? Um, because like, well, what do we want? What are we? I'm always about mission oriented. Like so that's my goal. Thing. What is my goal? So if I'm trying to get somebody to comply with something, how am I going to do that? Or am I trying to shut somebody down? Like if we bring back the no example. And maybe this is someone who's got, maybe I know is very identity um, or they have a big ego or they are narcissistic or it may not land well. I will soften that blow, especially if it's somebody that maybe I want to work with. But if I were going to do that, I would use words that they wouldn't find or think were an attack on their identity or their ego. Hmm. So I wouldn't say no. I'd say, you know, I'm not sure. Let me really think about this. Hmm. No, you know, your words don't have to be harsh to land on someone. Yeah. Can you say no and have compassion? Can you say no and be kind or be professional? You can. So this is where I kind of push back to like, you tell them no. Okay, good luck with your, Yeah, I, good luck with all of it. I used to only just say no outright when I felt weak and insecure that I wouldn't stick to my no. Isn't that interesting? So you were saying that no for yourself. Yeah. More than for them. Yeah. Like, oh shit, I may back out on this. So just say no, like be firm. Um, and then I realized it was more for myself. It was more because I didn't have the strength to push back or to gently actually decline. Because there is something, there's an element of amount of confidence to be able to say to somebody, you know, thank you so much, but actually not right now. And not feel guilty about it after, not beat yourself up. Like to me, I really had to work on that. You can, you can, you can, you can reject people and even... Something like, um, for example, you were bringing up different types of words before when you brought up important. Another word that I really think about is I'm sorry. When I hear people say I'm sorry a lot and it's in their language. And that is one of the most disempowering things you can do to yourself is to constantly be apologizing when you speak. I'm sorry I'm late. I'm sorry I missed this. Oh, I'm sorry I'm not feeling well. Why do you have to be sorry? I'm late. There was traffic. Thank you for waiting for me. Thank you for your patience. So in that sense, language can also diminish you. And there are some people who their language is littered with, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's, don't, I think when you use that language, when it lands on that person, 
it lands in a negative way for you. Mm. Apologize when you need to. So like when you say it's important, you, you drop that word when it is important. So if you're going to say, I'm sorry, drop it. Mm. When you are truly sorry, don't throw it out there. Like it's nothing. One, you devalue the word. So then when you do say, I'm sorry, nobody believes it anyway, because it's, you say it no matter what. And then two, I think it diminishes you because you're apologizing. You're in this constant state of apology to other people. I was taught words. I didn't really put this much thought into words until I began doing interviews and interrogations. People can have a visceral reaction to words Mm -hmm. and sometimes not in a good way. For example, people would lie to me all the time in the interview room. I knew it it was going to happen. But when I wanted to say to someone, when I wanted to not call them out on it, but bring it up, I I would not say, you're a liar. You're lying to me. It sounds ugly. I would say you're not being truthful. I know you're holding back on something. There's a different sentiment to those things. Because if I call somebody a liar, a liar is an ugly word. Nobody likes to be called a liar. Mm -hmm. They're going to shut down on me, but I want to keep the conversation going. I want progress. I want cooperation. So I'm going to use different words. Or maybe let's take something like steal. Did you steal that money? Ooh, steal's ugly. Nobody wants to be a thief. Did you take that money? Oh, sounds different. And so this is where you can think about language. Now, if I had somebody in the room who was completely avoidant, meaning like they're ignoring me, I'm not even here, they don't want to speak to me, they're doing one of these, and they're completely disconnected, I might call them a liar just to evoke something mm-hmm. out of them. In that situation, because I need to turn them, get them to turn around and get them fired up, I'd be like, you know, you're a liar. And I was like, what? I, I don't care, I got you talking. And so sometimes we may do that with people who are shut down on us. We may provoke them with our words because we want to get a reaction out of them. Mm. That's when you see people like kind of like drop bombs with their words. You can do it. You'll get a reaction. But at the same time, you're going to cause some damage after the fact. But if you're looking to trying to like wake up and get that person fired up because they're like completely indifferent, drop a few words. That'll, that'll definitely do that. So this is just how words can land on people. They can be powerful. They can cause a reaction. They can shut people down. They can create a more open conversation. It's just navigating, what do I want? Who is this person? What do they mean to me? Or what do they not mean to me? For this episode, we've just been talking about how important words are in a discussion and how much the choice of word actually really matters. So here we have a challenge. Lisa and I were given a list of words and phrases, and we're each going to interpret how we feel about these words. Evie and I are actually apart. She's over in New York and I'm here in LA, and we're gonna take the same list of words and we're gonna be going through them in real time and showing you how they hit us. We actually interpret that word in either the same way or in the opposite way. All right, let's get after it. First word is confidence. I like confidence. Confidence feels good. I like that word. I feel like a confident person. Even this is going to surprise you guys because it actually surprised me. But the very split second I read it, I had a tiny, tiny little negative thought. And I think the reason is, is that we all feel like our dreams are only going to come true if we have the confidence. And so that word to me has actually become almost like a bottleneck to people achieving their dreams. For a very split second, the word confidence didn't actually hit me very well at all. Mm. 
Second word is, hold on, I'm reading them off of my computer here. Second word is, we need to talk. Ooh, I don't like we need to talk. You hear we need to talk? Somebody's in trouble. Oh dear God, literally, you wanna talk about heart palpitations and anxiety? Tell me we need to talk. Immediately, my mind goes to the negative, like, oh shit, something's wrong and we have to get on the same page and so that's why they're telling me that we need to talk. I'm petrified. Selfish. I don't know about this word. It doesn't really resonate with me. I have a negative connotation or viewpoint with the word selfish. You know, I don't really connect with this word. I don't feel anything when I hear it. I love this word. I know people hate it. I know some people do. I actually love it because I interpret the word selfish to mean you are doing something for yourself. And I don't know where or when doing something for yourself turned into a negative. So to me, this is a beautiful thing that I think more of us need to use as self-care. It's selfish to take care of yourself. And guys, that's a freaking good thing. Here's a good one, no. So here's the thing with no. No can make you feel strong and assertive when you say it, but it can also impact someone in that it makes them feel rejected. It makes them feel diminished. So be mindful with no. Respect, respect. Love that word, respect if you use it. Impossible. I don't like that word. I don't like hearing it. I am the person that does not want to be told, don't tell me why I can't do it or that I can't do it. Tell me how to figure out how I can do it. Read the face. Read the face. I hate that word. How I interpret a word or how a word lands on me is going to be very different from how it lands on someone else. Because your interpretation of the word may be completely different to the other person's. And while that person doesn't mean it in a serious way, it could then potentially send you into an incredible downward spiral. And you want to be aware of this when you're talking to people because you want to understand how your words are impacting them. I'm Evie Pomperis, and thank you for watching this episode of Unstoppable. I'm a former interrogator and special agent for the U.S. Secret Service. This period of time in my life taught me a lot of important skills that are super valuable in everyday life. One of the most important skills I learned was how to determine if someone is lying to you. If you want to learn how to protect yourself and make good decisions, sign up for my new course, Becoming Bulletproof, how to read people and detect deception at bulletproof.impacttheory.com. When it comes to communication, rapport is king. When you have rapport, you have trust. When you have trust, you have cooperation. But the majority of the public think rapport is that, hi, how are you? It's the thing that I do in the beginning of a conversation. I relax that person and then we go into it. Rapport is actually something deeper. When you think of rapport, it's first, it doesn't start at the beginning and then stop. Rapport is something you keep straight across the board, beginning, middle, and end. You maintain it throughout. Think of it like a ping pong match. You speak, I speak. You speak, I speak. It's as if we're playing ping pong. You got the ball, I got the ball. So it's this ability to understand and communicate with people. And when you can establish rapport and understand how to establish rapport, 
this is when your communication is top tier. So there's a couple of strategies with developing rapport. And they're, they're um, science-based, there's research behind them, and these are the things that you can do to connect with people. So one of the first ones is acceptance, which is where I think people have the hardest time. When you're having a conversation with someone, it's about having the ability to accept what they're saying. As truth? No, just as their truth. Okay. Right? So it's not me telling you, no, you're wrong. It's me allowing you to say what you want to say and me accepting what you're saying. So if you think of an example, I'll go back to my previous career when I would interview somebody who was either a terrorist or a terrorist sympathizer. I would have to accept that they hated America. I would have to accept that America was the bad guy in their lens. I may not personally agree with it, but I would have to accept it. When you have acceptance, it means you're allowing now the person to talk. The whole key to rapport is how do I keep people communicating and going and then feeling comfortable? That is acceptance. Mm. When you want to have good communication with people, you said acceptance, Mm. right? And that means kind of pushing your ego out of the way and just saying this is what Lisa thinks and whether I agree with it or not is not the point, Mm. right? It's accepting what you're saying as your truth. Now, when you have acceptance, which is probably the biggest hurdle, when you can conquer that, the next thing, the other thing you can do is have adaptability. So with adaptability, it means not being rigid. And I know I've said this to you before. When you are rigid, when you're like, this is it, this is one way, this is the only way, you, you will struggle. Any, any being, any human being that's not able to adopt and change to their environment, and this goes with all species, they, they will struggle, they will not survive. So adaptability is key. You may have an agenda. When I go to this meeting or when I engage in this conversation, I want to talk about this. And now you begin speaking to that person, but maybe that person starts talking to you about the day they had or how they're feeling or something else. When you try to course correct them and you try to shift them back to where you want to go, That's not adaptability. Adaptability means allowing a person to go where they want. And this is where ego comes in. With these strategies, you can't have ego. So accepting someone means it's not about me. It's not about my ego. I accept who you are. I accept what you say. I may not like it. Adaptability is I'm going to adapt and allow you to maybe take the conversation where you want to go. I'm going to adapt to you. And these strategies allow people to feel that you are speaking with them, They feel that they are heard. Another great strategy to use in rapport building is autonomy. Autonomy allows people to have power. You're giving people power back. So when you're negotiating with someone and the negotiation really is to take things away from them or when you're trying to get something from them, when you're trying to get them to agree with what you want, we don't want to bulldoze people, right? We don't want to make people or force people to choose. It creates resistance. It creates challenge in the relationship. It creates people pushing back, putting up their defensive barriers. They don't don't want that. So when you use autonomy, it's saying, okay, I'll give you a choice. Would you like this or would you like this? Now I create the choice that you choose. But by that simple way of me giving you a choice, I'm giving you some kind of power back. 
I'm giving you the ability to feel like Evie's not telling, telling me what to do. Mm. She's letting me choose. So often when I would arrest people, and if, a, if it was a nonviolent arrest, I would give them autonomy. And when I could, which didn't happen often, again, it was with nonviolent cases, I would say, look, I have to arrest you. Now, I can come to your home and arrest you. Or if you'd like, you can come to me and I can arrest you. <laughs> and so you're getting arrested. You don't want it. There's nothing about it that's great. But I'm giving you some power over something that you feel completely powerless over. So it's, which do you choose? Most people would say, okay, can we make an appointment? And we would make appointments and say, okay, come in on this day at this time. And we would set it up. So that is autonomy. In that moment, you're losing all that power, but I'm giving you some power back. That builds rapport. It builds a connection. I assure you, whenever I made these appointments, the person, although they weren't happy, they appreciated it. Mm -hmm. So these are rapport-building strategies. And another one that is really powerful is empathy. And empathy is the ability to see things from another person's perspective. So again, going back to when I did maybe interrogations, I would speak to people who did horrible crimes or terrorism, speaking to people who thought doing certain acts, certain violent acts, they were justified. There were reasons. Now, my goal or my purpose was not to shame that person or judge that person. I had nothing to do with that. My goal was to listen and to try to empathize, not sympathize. I could not sympathize why you would commit this act, but I could try to empathize as to how you got there, why you thought this way. When you have empathy, when you give a person empathy, it's the ability for me to understand your world, to see things through your lens. Now we are connecting. All this stuff is rapport. Mm. All these techniques, these skills that you use are rapport. And now you've got this flow. Now you've got people liking you, wanting to talk to you, wanting to say yes to you. And the whole purpose behind this is if I'm in a situation where somebody is giving me conditional trust, which is trust with conditions, but I want to move that relationship forward, or I have someone who's giving me no trust and I want to move that relationship forward, I do it through rapport. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for 
utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. That was so fire. So here's what the question I've got now for you. That was amazing. Does that work? mostly on people that you don't know like for instance let's say you want to get a, be a better communicator with a parent or a partner you use this for everything because it's situation focused right think about how many conversations you have about tom about how many different things you know tom mm. as a person but your conversations or when you disagree with something they they fluctuate do they mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. so these techniques you can use depending on the circumstance. So if Tom says something to you that you may not like, but you're trying to get him to connect with you on a certain topic, you want him to go with you on a specific topic, then you would accept his position. Even if you're like, I think that's crazy. I think you're bonkers. I don't agree with you. I think that this is, you don't want to say this is a horrible idea. This is a bad idea. You want to allow at least that person to say it and accept that that is what they think for this situation. You can use it on a person if you're thinking about trying to create trust between people, but then also creating trust within a situation. This is where, this this is communication. Premier communication. I freaking love that. Because initially when you were actually saying it, I, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, I can actually see that when you're meeting someone for the first time. But having you reset it as like, well, what if it's Tom makes complete sense. Like, I freaking love that stuff because I'm always trying to get there, right? Like, been together for 20 years, but there's always room. So what are the ways in order to communicate? And you breaking that down was amazing. It, 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 it has to be because you, you want to do it, so to speak. And I think the biggest hurdle is that people are not willing to accept another person. They're not willing to accept that other person's views. Mm. And we have this... I'm right, you're wrong, and that destroys rapport. Mm. Destroys rapport, and it's not a. It's not about that. Acceptance is, I accept your view. So if I'm, you know, I would interview someone who, raped someone, I would just accept what they were saying, or I may ask them, "What did you do last night?" And they may want to tell me about how they just started taking Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I don't care if you're taking Brazilian jiu-jitsu, mm. but for whatever reason. I have to shift and adapt and let you take me on that journey Mm -hmm. because now you feel heard. And because you feel heard, you start to do what? Connect with me, trust me, have faith in me. 
These are the building blocks to creating report, but you maintain this from beginning, middle to end. You don't drop it. And you say you don't drop it in the conversation or you're saying in totality in life. So like- In the conversation. Right. In the conversation. And it always, it's ping pong. It's a mutual understanding between two people of what is being discussed. Mm. It is not a monologue. Mm -hmm. So if you're the only one speaking, that is not rapport, right? It's I go, you go. I go, you go. It's, you've literally shattered my whole belief on what rapport is. I definitely thought rapport was like, when you first meet someone, like, oh my God. Like when I first yeah. met you, which what a absolute like disaster in hindsight. But when I first met you, I read, oh my God, every she's Greek. So I was basically saying, I speak Greek and she speaks Greek. This is going to be amazing. The first minute I meet you, I'm going to build rapport with you and I'm going to show that we have something in common. That's what I thought rapport was. Thank you. Yasu de Gannis. Kalasi. Very good. Thank you. My fellow Greek in the house. Yes, we are busting out the Greek. We are. <laughs> I'm so excited that you're on here. I've been waiting for you to come on. So excited about what you've done. That was what you just said. You were trying to create common ground with me. Oh, oh that's, yeah. And look, could that fall under the rapport? Yes. But that's really about creating common ground. Oh, you're Greek? I'm Greek. No kidding. But I use that also when I would interview somebody, if I would go to the Middle East or if I, I would interview someone of Arab descent, I would speak in Arabic, or my basic Arabic, you know, my, uh, my basic Arabic that I could, you know, dialogue with people because I wanted to create a connection to find common ground. Mm -hmm. So is that a rapport building strategy? Yes, it is. Hmm. But when you do these things, you have to be subtle about them. Yeah, I wasn't subtle at all. <laughs> and the funny thing is, now in hindsight, can you tell the audience how you feel about people coming up to you and speaking Greek? Because I was so excited. I was like, oh man, she's going to love me. I'm building rapport. She doesn't know anything about me. But the first thing I'm going to say to her is all going to be Greek and we're going to have like an amazing communication. We're going to sit down on the couch and our communication is so freaking tight because we've started off strong. So one of the biggest pet peeves that I have is when Tom and I, or really me with anybody, but specifically my husband, when I'm trying to communicate with him and we literally cannot get on the same page. Like, I go to my husband when I have frustrations. I don't really go to, I don't vent much, but I go to him. And I just want him to freaking listen. And of course, like most women, it's like they just want the guy to listen. And he freaking wants, jumps in halfway through and wants to solve the problem without actually listening to the final sentence. And then I start getting annoyed and upset with him that he's not actually listening, but he's saying he is. And then before you know it, we're not in sync and now our communication is freaking out the window and we're going around in circles. So what's happening here is you're not in sync because you're, you're riding two different waves. You are in an identity motivation. Tom is in a instrumental motivation. Right, break this so down for me. You're motivated by your identity in this specific conversation. I want to speak to you about how I feel. I want to speak to you about what's going on with me, what's happening. It's it's about me, it's about I, it's about what I'm feeling, what I am going through. Tom is writing, think of it, a different wave. He's in this instrumental space, meaning step one, step two, step three. He's thinking, uh, get rid of all that stuff, let's just figure out the solution. You're gonna do this, you're gonna do th this, you're gonna do this. What's happening is you really don't want his solution. 
you want to be heard, but he's very instrumental. But also, if it's your issue, you're going to be much more emotional and identity about it. When it's his issue, he might be more emotional identity about it. And look, his character might typically be instrumental. Sometimes we have a character where some of us are a bit more identity when we're dealing with a problem. We tie it into ourselves. We make it a big part of our identity. This is being done to me because of something about me, right? Where someone else may be like Tom, he's just looking at the problem and focusing on the solution rather than making it or tethering it to himself. Mm-hmm. If you're going to Tom and saying, Tom, I'm going through this, I'm feeling this, I'm doing all of that, Tom should recognize, okay, oh, Lisa's in the identity space because she's talking about her and how she feels and she just wants to offload. And so instead of me giving her first a solution, I'm going to go identity. And when he matches you and he's kind of like, babe, I understand how you feel. That must be so difficult. Uh, I'm sorry you had that. And you're thinking, oh, Tom, thank you. That feels so good. Now you guys are in sync. Yeah. You feel heard. You're in harmony. You're in a cooperative place. And now the conversation can move forward. Now he can, after he does this, be like, yeah, but I still need to give her the solution. So, because I don't want to hear about this again, right? Yeah. So he can, after he's allowed you to do that, which again, this kind of goes back to adaptability that we were speaking about earlier. He can come in and be like, you know, why don't we, you know, I have some ideas about how maybe I could help you with this and kind of bring it in there. But he has to allow you to go that place. If he goes and what he did is your identity and he's instrumental, you're, you're, you're bumping heads and then you're getting angry. I can't believe you. You're not listening to me. I just want to tell you how I feel. And he's thinking, babe, I'm trying to help you. Yeah. No, that's not what I, you don't get it. So this is where we miss one another. And sometimes our personalities may be a bit like that as well. I love that. And you're so right. Um, And God, maybe over the last, maybe three or four years now, we haven't actually used those words. So I love being able to put, you know, certain words to it. But one thing that we have done now is, and we can't catch ourselves quick enough sometimes, because, you know, you're usually emotional in those situations. So you almost don't know. So we've kind of said to each other, all right, whoever remembers first needs to stop the other person and say, whoa, do you want me to fix it or listen? So now I try to remember before I go to him, I'm like, babe, I just need you to listen. And that means he literally will shut up and now bless him. He just sits there in complete silence and he doesn't even say one word. And then I look at him and he's like, okay, do you want me to keep listening? Um, But then I'll go to, I don't need you, I don't want you to fix it yet. Because then it's kind of just giving the gifts, right? Actually saying the words of the thing that you need the other person to do. How do you do it with it when it's maybe someone that's not your partner? Let's say it's even a friend. How do you navigate that situation? Um, Because here's the other thing. What if your friend is only identity and all they want to do is keep complaining about something that has taken a hit to their identity? Do they keep doing this? Is this their consistent behavior? I might look for a new friend. Really? So you go, their identity, if they're not willing to shift from an identity person to a... You have to make a choice. If I have someone in my life who is identity and they're a friend and it's, they're sucking the life out of me all the time. It's a burden. They're always complaining. It's negative energy. It's not a good person to have in my circle. Maybe you don't have to get rid of that person, but you can lessen your you're not going to change them. You're always going to have to go identity to match them so that you can move the that's conversation what I was forward. Ask you. So that's really on you. Do you have that, that emotional bandwidth to keep investing in this person? And sometimes we don't. So sometimes you may have to minimize those 
conversations, the interactions, because it's, it's unhealthy for you. Some people are always identity and a very maybe negative identity. Um, if they're, and if they're complaining to you about your relationship with them, then, that, then they're in something called relational. What's that? Relational is, this has to do with you and I. Got it, okay. You and I, I got a, pro- I got a problem with you. Okay. And so when you hear that, okay, she's in relational, I need to focus on her and I. If she's an identity, something's going on in Lisa's world, I need to get there. But when you hear someone, so for example, a business call, like I'm very efficient and I may get on a business call with, with someone in it, from work and they may start telling me about their, their family, uh, their problems or an issue they're having and they start talking to me about their identity stuff. They need to just talk about whatever issue they have for whatever reason they feel that expressing this to me will help them. And I can spend 15 minutes on a work call listening to somebody talk about um, a family member or a partner that they're having an issue with and then get maybe the last five minutes to talk about what the business call is. Now, is it efficient for me? No. But people don't remember what you say to them. It's really what people remember is how you make them feel. So after that call that person's going to remember the way they felt when they spoke to me. Mm. I feel good. I feel warm. If you listen to me, I feel better. Mm. And so sometimes getting rid of that agenda that you have or these talking points and just letting someone be is great. And if they feel good, they come back for more. And if they feel good, then you, you move into what's called a cooperative zone. When you're in this cooperative space, it means now we can progress the conversation. When we're not, if you stay identity and I stay instrumental and we're doing this, the conversation doesn't progress. We're still stuck and now you're more frustrated. Mm-hmm. I'm frustrated. Yeah. There's no, rev- no, no resolution. Yeah. And so we're ch- I'm challenging you. And so you, want, you don't want to challenge the person if you want it to move forward. If you are identity and I just shut you down and I go into, look, just do this. It's challenging to you. There's no cooperation. We don't move forward. Everything sucks. All right. So that's so fucking amazing. I love all that. Listen, this makes sense. A hundred percent, girl. Let's bring it now all the way down to someone's at home right now and they have a problem with their mother, their partner, or a friend. How on earth do you start to have this conversation? Because like seeing them going, oh, you're an identity. Like people won't necessarily get that. Don't tell them. The power is that you know this. And you adapt to that person. I see you, your identity. I got you. I know where you are. I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to be cooperative with you. And then I'm going to help progress the conversation. I'm not going to stop and say, hey, you know where you are right now. (laughs) People are going to look at you like, why are you labeling me? Why are you putting me in this box? Why are you making me have this conversation? They're already identity. These techniques and strategies are meant for people who A, want to learn them and understand them, and B, it's not for you to teach somebody else. Let me enlighten you. You're clueless. Let me show you what's really happening. You tell me who likes that. Nobody likes that. No, I get it. It depends on who you choose. I just, to me, actually, that's actually a really good guide to whether I think I can be close with them. Like, close with them in a really fucking, like, massively connecting way. Um, but do you, can I ask you a question? Do you have to massively connect with everybody? No, no, no. Right? Some people are, you have a small circle and those are the people you truly want to connect with. And then you have other people outside of that circle 
that you want to have good relationship with, you want to have cooperative conversations, you want to have good communications, and this is where you use that stuff. Yes, your point is very well taken. There are moments and times, and most of the time, it's for yourself to know how to get in sync with the other person. Yeah. It's me. Rather than me trying, trying to change you, I'm going to adapt to you. That's the trap I feel that so many of us fall into. I'm trying to change you. I'm trying to enlighten you. And it doesn't work. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to be able to identify where you are, who you are in this moment, and then I am going to adapt to you. That's so fascinating, actually, because, yeah, so me and you, are, we text a lot. We're very good friends. Well, we text a lot. I text you a lot. Yes. You text me one-word answers. And, you know, my spirit is like, oh, my God, I am. So let's just take this show, for example, right? I'm texting you. Oh, my God, I'm so freaking excited. I, you know, hope you have a safe trip. Do you need it? Big capital letters. Woohoo! Emojis. Yay. Um, and then your reply yes. is me too. And I remember like over time being like, like maybe she doesn't like me as much as I like her. Like maybe she's not as excited as I am. And I did, right? The, the voice in my head is making up all these stories about how much Evie likes me or doesn't like me based on how much she texts me. And I actually, because, because I really want to have a close relationship with you and I knew that this was like, huh, I just asked you, honestly. Yes, you did. And I was like, is there a reason you don't, like, you're not very much of a texter. Like, is there something okay? And your response? Oh, I explained it. So I don't text. I don't like texting. I'm so, I'm, I'm, I'm very old school, like pick up the phone talk person. But because of the previous job that I had, we would subpoena people's phone records and text messages. And I would read people's texts straight through. And I just, from that, I've, I've just totally been tainted that the minute you text something, write something, tweet something, send anything, anything you do on a device, it is there forever. And so I'm very apprehensive to communicate digitally mm-hmm. in that way or to express my feelings. I feel I'm very private in that. I don't want someone reading it. Not that I'm going to get subpoenaed. Hopefully I won't. But I think just from that mindset, I remember when I would look at other people's text messages and think, you know, how, what a violation it must be to feel to have a complete stranger, me, reading through all your text messages. Mm. So I've never, I don't, even my husband, if you look at my texting with my husband, he'll be like, hey, babe, go, go, good luck, crush it. And I'm like, thanks. You know, it's like, and we, we very minimal. I'll call him. Mm. I don't text. I don't like texts. But I, I'm, I've given you like a couple of exclamation points. I think once I gave you an emoji, like a heart. Oh, I need to go back and screenshot that. It's probably bad boy. a black heart. It definitely wasn't a pink heart. <laughs> Another pink heart. But you know what, though? You, but you asked me, but you yes. felt comfortable to ask me because I was the type of person that you could ask that. But once upon a time, when I didn't have the confidence or I was worried, I would have gone years, girl without actually asking you. And because this one is very specifically about getting in sync, even in asking you about it, I was like, I really do want to bond with you. I really do want a friendship with you. And because I had this thing where I wasn't quite sure, I was like, it was always like a little bit of a question mark. So I was like, I'm just going to freaking ask her. Um, You can absolutely have that bond with me, just not in text. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's just embedded. It's just from... But that, um, a consequence of my previous career. But that's why I like, though, just being honest and to me at least, and I'm going to go into identity, I feel like I feel more connected with someone when I'm able to talk 
in that way and then establish in those moments. Because like you even said, sometimes your husband's identity and sometimes he's not. So knowing when someone's fluctuating, but being able to articulate that with them, to me, is the gift that I want at least. I think that's, it's a great navigating tool for when you're kind of wondering, why are we not in sync? And if you can pause and stop and think, where is this person right now? What's motivating mm. them? And so if you can see where somebody is, then you can come into their space. So I'm sharing this because I don't want to teach this so that people can try to make somebody else come into their space. Mm. This is for you. So if you know this, now you can move in. I'm teaching you to adapt. I'm telling you, adaptability is power. So yeah, like I'm really feeling like just the entire weight of the world on my shoulders and it's like giving me such like cramps and I can't sleep well and I'm really feeling just... But, but you know, there's a... No, but Avi, I, I just really need you to listen right now. I know, but Lisa, you've got... Please, as my friend, I just need you to listen. I know, but I'm just trying to help you. Yeah, I... but please, like... Help me because my I just feel exhausted and just and it's like you're just trying to solve it. Like no, just listen, please. Stop trying to solve the problem. Okay. I'm really struggling. I'm just feeling just defeated and weak. It's really hard for you. It really is, Abby. It really, really is. Thank you. I actually really feel heard, so I really appreciate that. Can I get a hug? Sure. Thank you. Oh, oh Lisa, there's a fucking dumbbell around your neck. No. What up, guys? Thanks so much for watching. And if you want more awesome freaking videos with my girl, Evie, click that box right there. And until next time, be the hero of your own life. Peace out. Boop.